Europe can't decide how to unplug from China. How should Europe handle China? The continent is trying to decide. After decades of pursuing trade with the country, its economy is exposed to a decoupling. Its closest ally, America, wavers between China bashing and war talk on the one hand, and de-escalation and partial détente on the other. Individual European countries struggle to agree with each other. Last week, Josep Borrell, the EU's chief diplomat, urged Europe's foreign ministers in a letter to find a coherent strategy in the face of a hardening of the U.S.-China competition. But it is far from clear what that strategy might be, or whether Europe would remain so closely aligned with America in the event of a war over Taiwan. An awkward procession of Europe's leaders to Beijing in the past few months points to the lack of a plan. Germany's Olaf Scholz paid a visit accompanied by business leaders in November. His foreign minister, who is from a different political party, went last month and struck a tough tone. Spain's prime minister, Pedro Sánchez, went to open doors to his country's trade. Emmanuel Macron ostentatiously sought to strike a partnership with Xi Jinping. The French president took 53 corporate bosses with him and insisted that Europe distance itself from Sino-American tensions and from a conflict over Taiwan. His clumsy comments caused an uproar in Europe and America. The war in Ukraine has complicated matters further as the mood has turned against autocracies. Most countries on the EU's eastern flank, which once opened their arms to Chinese investors, have become hawkish. Russia's invasion of Ukraine had a sorting effect in Europe when it comes to China, says Jenka Ordal of the European Council on Foreign Relations, a think tank. Those in the East are as leery of the friendship between Moscow and Beijing as they are of Mr. Macron's talk of strategic autonomy from America. Meanwhile, everyone knows that China is keen to exploit transatlantic differences. Finding common cause is onerous because it is hard to tell what America wants. Jake Sullivan, President Joe Biden's national security adviser, and Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, have each recently distanced the Biden administration from hard talk of decoupling in favor of de-risking. Is the next step, and one that Europeans can agree on. But what it means in practice has yet to be clearly defined. It does not mean shutting the door to China altogether. It is partly about diversification, bolstering economic security and eradicating forced labor from supply chains. It is also focused on security concerns, hampering China's ability to get its hands on security-relevant technology such as quantum computing, which affects encryption, or the highest-end semiconductors for military purposes. Like America, Europe is most strategically vulnerable when it comes to its critical dependence on China for certain supplies. In 2022 China mined nearly three-fifths of global rare earth elements used as components in electronic equipment and refined 60% of the world's lithium and 80% of its cobalt, two core inputs for the production of high-capacity electric batteries. Europe imports 98% of its rare earths from China, even more than America, which imports 80% from the Asian power. According to a study by Marix, a German think tank, the EU relies on China for 97% of its chloramphenicol, used to manufacture antibiotics. For America, the figure is 93%. Just friends. De-risking is understandable, but Europe's middle way is riddled with potholes. Big companies, still keen on the China dream, may refuse to go along for the ride. 
There are certain no-go areas on tech in China, says one senior European industrialist, but on the rest we are not decoupling, it is business as usual, and the more the better. When Mr. Macron was in Beijing, Airbus, a European aircraft manufacturer, agreed to expand an assembly line in Tianjin and confirmed an order to sell China 160 planes. Derisking may also struggle to adapt to technological change and its commercial effects which can create new links even as old ones are dismantled. Cars are a good example. The EU exports almost no electric vehicles to China. Yet almost all of China's car exports to the EU, many of which are made for European brands, are battery-powered, see Chart 3. Exports have shot up from less than 100 billion euros a month before the pandemic to around 1 billion euros a month now. As Europe's motorists seek greener transport, China is both eager and well-positioned to flood the continent with cheaper electric models. The greatest weakness of de-risking in its current guise is that it little prepares Europe for the shock that would follow an attempt by China to seize Taiwan. Europe's armed forces and its defense industry are already stretched, and the continent would struggle to find the capacity to provide much military support to America and Taiwan. Its leaders have little appetite for involvement in another war. But America would probably expect Europe to enforce the kind of embargo put in place on Russia. That would hurt American firms, despite Apple's efforts to diversify its production to India, the tech giant still relies on China. But it would harm Europe more, causing a bigger economic hit and destabilizing more companies. Mr. Macron's recent suggestion that Europe should not follow America's lead on Taiwan in case it is dragged into crises that are not its own delighted Beijing and dismayed European capitals. Gabrielius Landsbergis, Lithuania's foreign minister, retorted tartly that, at a time when Europeans depend on America's backing of Ukraine, they should be trying to preserve transatlantic unity rather than begging for dictators to help secure peace in Europe. Officials in Paris note, as Mr. Macron eventually did, that it is official French policy to support the status quo over Taiwan. With naval bases and territories in the Indo-Pacific, France has direct interests in the region. The problem isn't French policy but the disconnect between what we do and what Macron says, which creates unnecessary doubts among our partners, notes Antoine Bondaz, at the Foundation for Strategic Research, a French think tank. One virtue of Mr. Macron's unfortunate comments, notes a Scandinavian minister, is that it has got Europeans to talk more about China. Many on the continent fret about escalatory American rhetoric. On May 12, the EU's foreign ministers managed to agree a set of principles for future dealings with the country. It will be discussed at the EU's next summit in June. The bloc's deliberations in the coming months will depend heavily on France and Germany, which are its two biggest economies and among the most exposed to China and some of the least keen on cutting commercial ties. Mr. Macron has long pushed Europe to become more self-reliant. Mr. Scholz, faced with divergent views in his coalition government and a strong industry lobby, is still working on a national strategy on China, which keeps on being delayed. He is expected to host a bilateral summit with the country next month. Much of Eastern Europe seems wary of Chinese influence. The country's bullying of Lithuania in recent years over a Taiwanese diplomatic office in the country disgusted many. That is in spite of the fact that Central and Eastern Europe received some 3.8 billion euros through China's Clubby 16 Plus One initiative between 2000 and 2017. 
Comments made last month by Lu Xie, the Chinese ambassador to France, helped focus minds. He appeared to dispute the legal status of all former Soviet countries, even if China later corrected his remarks. The end of the affair. Europe needs a measured debate about what to do next. France and Germany both have reservations about Mrs. von der Leyen's de-risking measures, but they back the principle. Outward investment screening is under discussion, though will be difficult to put into practice. Inward investment screening is up and running, although Europeans disagree on how much to tighten the rules. Beyond de-risking, collective EU policy has not been thought through. That is in spite of the fact that de-risking doesn't provide an answer to a scenario in which relations between America and China were to rupture. Since Russia invaded Ukraine, the transatlantic alliance has stood remarkably firm. A Chinese move on Taiwan would prove an even more dangerous, and far more difficult, test. The Economist Today Handpicked stories, in your inbox. A daily newsletter with the best of our journalism. More from International. After 12 years of blood, Assad's Syria rejoins the Arab League. One of the 21st century's worst war criminals makes a comeback. The 2023 Crony Capitalism Index. War, tech woes, and cock-ups have pummeled certain plutocrats.